Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So the four basic principles, and we'll talk about each of these um, throughout the rest of the podcast, but the four basic principles or key insights or ideas are one, reference points, remember that, two, reasons, three, resources, and four, replacement. So reference points, reasons, resources, and replacement. If you've got a handle on those four ideas, then most of the rest of the stuff we talk about will be more like going into depth. Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's the basic idea of reference points. So the same existence in the palace of Denmark could either be a prison or a paradise, depending on you know your reference point. So that's reference points. If people need to make some certain evaluation with regards to your, your experience, with regards to your product or your offering, are they in fact evaluating that offering on its merits or are they using some heuristic or some substitution to answer an easier question that's related to it? So Colin, I don't know if you've ever tried to explain cricket to someone who has not grown up with it. I never seem to get it, but there you No, go. never, never. I have a friend who's very into baseball and he was trying to explain baseball to somebody from another country who'd never watched it before. And uh, it must have been me because the only time I've ever seen a decent explanation about it, what was that comedy sketch? Where, uh, when who's on first? And who's up first? And, yeah. You know, that tells you most of what you need to know. He's just, he started throwing all these rules at the person and they got more and more confused. And at some point he, he paused and he looked at me and he said, should I tell him about the infield fly rule? Which is like the most obscure part of baseball. But he was just so enthusiastic about this that he just started digging deeper and deeper. Yeah, I can imagine. If you want me to tell you about cricket, I'm more than happy to explain it to you. Yeah. You would be at least the eighth person who's tried. Everything I know about cricket comes from reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, the answer, the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. So we're all good. I'm a little bit worried, Colin, that our dear listeners might sometimes feel like those people who are getting the rules of baseball or the rules of cricket from somebody who's enthusiastic about the topic, but just starts talking to them about the infield fly rule. We give a lot of theory in each of these podcasts, and we do our very best to explain how it's useful and where it can be used. But that doesn't stop the fact that it's just a lot of theory. And the reason for that is that people are just really complex. And so there's lots of different approaches to take to understand people. So I thought that we could do a podcast where we do kind of a summary, kind of an overview, like here are the big ideas. I've developed a framework because I work in a business school. It's four principles. In my opinion, these are the four summary principles of human behavior. I think that these four cover most of what we have talked about and will talk about in our podcast. And it offers people kind of a, a place to start. That's my hope. Well, when we talked about this before, at the beginning of when we started to get to know each other, this really helped me because I have to tell you, it is like trying to 
what's that thing? What's the phrase? Drink out of a fire hose. That's the. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. No, that would be good. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot. So here are the four. I call this the four R's framework. So the four basic principles, and we'll talk about each of these um, throughout the rest of the podcast, but the four basic principles or key insights or ideas are one, reference points. Remember that. Two, reasons. Three, resources. And four, replacement. So reference points, reasons, resources, and replacement. If you've got a handle on those four ideas, then most of the rest of the stuff we talk about will be more like going into depth around one or more of those points. All right, let's start with reference points. Reference points is the idea that the way that people evaluate almost anything is by comparing it to something else. So if you want to figure out how people are going to evaluate something, you need to figure out where they're starting from. And there are all kinds of theories that build off of reference points. One of my favorite reference points quotes comes from Shakespeare, because Shakespeare understood all of this stuff. He also understood cricket, you know that as well. He also, he was, he was a great cricketer. And not a lot of people know that about. He was a, a great batsman. So in Hamlet, Colin loves it when I quote Hamlet at him. Absolutely. In Hamlet, Hamlet is talking to his two friends who end up trying to kill him, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And they're talking about Denmark. And Hamlet says he feels like he's just trapped there, that it's a prison. And his friends are like, what are you talking about? It's great here. And, and he, he says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, uh, but he says, you know, well, it, it may be great for you, but it's a prison for me. Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's the basic idea of reference points. So the same existence in the palace of Denmark could either be a prison or a paradise, depending on, you know, your reference point. So that's reference points. So a reference point in terms of, from a custom experience perspective, would be that I'm just about to phone up my local utility company and I phone them up before and I know what they're like, or I'm just about to phone up a or take out insurance with an insurance company. I've done that before. I've never dealt with this insurance company before, but I know what dealing with insurance companies are like. Correct? Exactly. Yeah. So what are you bringing to the table there? If you stay at a hotel that you've never stayed at before, but your friend says, oh, you're going to that hotel. Yeah, I've been there before. Man, that place is like a Four Seasons. You're going to love it. Or if you go to that hotel and, and before you leave, your friend goes, oh, yeah, I've stayed at that hotel before. It's more or less like a Motel 6. You know, it'll be okay. And you have exactly the same experience. In one case, you'll be really disappointed. In the other case, you'll be really happy. And I guess that's a lot of what people like, um, I'm thinking McDonald's or Hilton or Marriott or whatever, you know, the consistency of the experience that must sort of be building on that reference point stuff. That's right. Yeah. So one of the many ways that people can form a reference point, can bring it to it is, is based on past experience. So you have an expectation of what a McDonald's meal should taste like, what the service should be like, because you've eaten there a number of times in the past. So that's what you're bringing as your reference point. If you're going to a new place that you've never been to before, you might bring your reference point from McDonald's to that new place, right? So, so figure that out. If you're trying to manage your customer experience, figure out what are the reference points that they bring. 
to the table. So what what are the things that they are going to equate your experience to? So one of the things that I often tell audiences is this is how expectations are built. And I think I may have talked about this in the past, but I always say to people, can you, you know, what's going to the Congo like? Or how many people have been to the Congo? And I choose the Congo because nobody's ever, or hardly any person's ever been there. However, they've got their view of what it actually looks like and feels like, and you can actually get people to explain it. But, you know, they're building that reference point from many different sources, aren't they? From films about Africa and lots of different things, not least of which is what people may tell them, et cetera, and what they see on the news and all those other things. Yeah, we, we take a simplified version of, of this, I think, sometimes in business, where we assume that customers' reference points must be our direct competition. That's what they're comparing us to. And sometimes that's true. But, you know, if you have an e-commerce site selling, I don't know, pool supplies, there's a very good chance that your customers' reference points are not your other pool supply competitors. It's you know, Amazon yeah. or some other completely different. Classically, it is Amazon because everyone everyone talks about we want a website that's as simple as Amazon, even though they happen to be in the funeral business. That's right. And, and it may be a completely appropriate reference point because customers are using Amazon all the time. So when they go online, that may be their expectation, even if it's something like funeral services. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so reference points is the first one. Reference point, super important, reference point. Reasons is the next one. So what are the reasons that people have for choosing or not choosing your service, your offering, your customer experience? This may seem intuitive. After all, you know, it makes sense that people choose based on reasons. Part of the reason that I included in here, though, in this list is that the reasons that people use for their justifying their choices are not always good reasons. People are just looking for reasons, not necessarily great reasons. So let me give you an example. This is one of my, my favorite studies from psychology. This guy, Eldar Shafir from Princeton University, ran this study. And he gave people a hypothetical. He said, imagine you're sitting on a jury that's trying to determine child custody in a divorce case. And they give information about the two parents. And so who's going to get primary custody? And one of the parents is described as being kind of middle of the road. So, you know, a job with a moderate level of income, a reasonably good rapport with the child, you know, all this kind of stuff. The other one is described in terms of extremes. So extremely close to the child, but very busy at work and travels a lot. And, you know, so kind of a lot of good stuff and then some bad stuff too, you know, not great health, all that kind of stuff. He then had, had these people answer the question in one of two ways. So some people had to choose one of these two parents to grant custody to. Another group of people had to choose which of these parents to deny primary custody to. When people had to choose, they chose the extreme parent. They said, this is the one that's very close to the child and has a, a very high income, so all that's good. And so we're going to give custody to that parent. When they had to choose a parent to deny custody to, they also chose the extreme parent. They said, oh, this parent's away from home a lot. Their health is not great. This makes no sense, right? You can't both choose and reject. 
And the way that, that Shafir kind of reconciled this is that he said a lot of times when people are making choices, they're focused on reasons. So if you're choosing, you're focusing on reasons for the choice. And the extreme parent had reasons for choosing. If you're rejecting, then you're focusing on reasons to reject that option. And the extreme parent also had better reasons for rejecting. So think about reasons. What are, what are the reasons that you can give people for choosing your option? Purchasing your product or whatever, or what are the reasons that they wouldn't choose your, your product or service? Or the reasons that they would have in looking back at the experience for calling it a good experience, right? What are the things that stand out for or against? But I presume some of those are, again, some of those more sort of subconscious psychological things that they don't necessarily know themselves. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been a body of research on this reason-based choice. So they, they'll ask people to provide reasons uh, for what they're choosing. And sometimes the reasons that they provide don't line up with what's actually going on in the stimuli. So people can generate reasons that aren't the true reasons. But for example, if something is easier, if something pops out at you, it's the first thing that you notice, those can become these kind of non-conscious reasons for choice, even if you're not able to articulate them later. Yeah. So this goes back to what we've talked about on a number of occasions, but this, what we call an emotional signature, which is looking at um, what customers value. So there's a big difference between what customers say that they want and what they actually buy or what they actually do. And a lot of the things that are subconscious drivers are the things that are, I guess, in this context, are the reasons that they would buy, which may be that the person was friendly to them or they felt that they cared for them, but they're not going to they're not going to articulate them. They don't actually, in some cases, even know themselves that that's what that's what's driving value. And I guess some of those things they're actually making a decision on. They don't socially. They don't want to say that you know it's. A, I don't know. Thinking about a roughy tufty construction worker won't turn around and say, "Well, the reason that I want to buy this product is because I think this person cares for me." So yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so sometimes they'll be able to to articulate that, as you say. There are instances where saying that the reason is because the the staff was very friendly is perfectly acceptable, and there are other times where you know, especially in a lot of B two B transactions. People don't want to say, well, I'm basing this based on friendliness, but that is, in fact, the reason. So I always get is do customer emotions and do all this psychology stuff apply to my business-to-business -business customer? And it always amazes me. My answer is always, well, as long as they're human beings, then you're okay. If they're from other, some other planet, then that may be different. As long as they're human beings, then you're okay because it, you know it, everything applies. It's just we get a bit more... I think business to business people are a bit more sophisticated in their approach and what they are prepared to display to people in terms of um, how they're making decisions, et cetera. Yep, absolutely. If you've got a business that sells exclusively to robots, then don't worry about it. <laughs> totally right. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's 
beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So the next one is what? Resources. So we've got reference points, we've got reasons, we've got resources. So here we're talking about cognitive resources. And again, this is another thing that we've talked about in previous podcasts. We will talk about again in future podcasts. We've had entire podcasts dedicated to the idea of easy, the importance of being easy. And the reason that easy is so important is because people have a limited amount of cognitive resources to devote to things, a limited amount of attention, a limited amount of patience. Uh, So when you're trying to anticipate how people are going to make decisions, how they're going to evaluate an experience, try to consider that. Are they going to be in a situation where they'll have lots of resources to devote to this thing, in which case, you know, they'll analyze things a little bit more rationally, a little bit slower, or are they going to be in a situation where they are, don't have a lot of resources to devote? So they're under time pressure, they're uh, in a, an emotionally agitated state, it's the end of a long day, or they they're distracted. All of these things deplete cognitive resources, and they make people make decisions in different ways than they might otherwise. Yeah, so this goes, so I would advise if you, you're listening to this, um, Ryan and I did a, a podcast on this to do with what we've called the intuitive and rational thinking. I'm not going to go into it in any great detail now, but intuitive decision making, and that's the name of this podcast because that's the book that Ryan and I wrote, which uh, intuitive thinking is making a decision quickly, you know, without sort of in quotes, thinking about it. Rational is when you actually have to think about something. So even the the process of thinking about, am I thinking, is thinking, I guess. That was deep, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? This is, this is late in the afternoon for me, and I came up with that sentence. <laughs> I'm hesitating here. Maybe we should just end the podcast right here, because I don't know. I think we may have peaked. I think I'm on a roll. I'm going to start explaining cricket. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I mean, this is a this is an important idea. Too often, firms assume rational decision making. Think about the resources people are, are being brought to bear. Even just the importance of the decision. You know, if you are a brand manager, if you're a customer experience manager, you think about that customer experience or that brand that you're managing all the time. You devote all the resources to it. Your customer doesn't care nearly as much. They've got way more important things going on in their lives. So you're thinking about this in a different way from the way they will be experiencing it. Can you get into their head? And part of that is this resources. And uh, and as you said, for me, the fundamental thing and the bit that I was, um, when I started learning about all this stuff, it made me go, all right, that's why easy is just so important to everybody. Because people want things easy because they don't want to have to, in quotes, think about them, and they want it to be intuitive. How many times have we heard of all these types of sentences? The reason behind all of that is the resources, and the reason behind all of that is because back in the day, you know, when when human beings were going across the savannah or whatever, to actually get food and create warmth and all those things took time and effort, and therefore spending effort on doing something was a challenge and the last thing they want to do was therefore to to waste that effort or waste that 
uh, as Robin's saying, waste that resource. So absolutely, and we've had lots of practical implications of this where we've worked with clients where we would say, for instance, think about the time that you are selling to them. Are you selling to a client when it's late at night and they've had a hard day at the office and actually they don't want to, in quotes, think about anything? And the the output of that can be that you get a lot of return products the next day because people then start thinking about it and going, oh, I shouldn't have bought that product. So absolutely, I think resources is a, is a good one in this um, context. So the last big one that we'll talk about is replacement. And the idea here is people like to get stuff done. And that includes making decisions. So a lot of what we talk about on this podcast, a lot of what we research in um, psychology and researching um, human decision making is all of the problems that people run into. We've got all this, all these ways that our decision making is led astray, all this information that we need that we don't have. The reality is though, that we don't let that stop us as people. So if we don't have all the information we need to answer a certain question, we don't just give up usually. Usually we go ahead and make that decision anyway. We just use some kind of heuristic, some kind of fudge, some kind of substitution. And that's what I mean by replacement. So if people need to make some certain evaluation with regards to your, your experience, with regards to your product or your offering, are they in fact evaluating that offering on its merits or are they using some heuristic or some substitution to answer an easier question that's related to it? So I know I'm going to nick your your one, but this is if making a decision on a politician or which political party to support or whatever, this is uh, it's actually easier to turn around and say, could I go down the pub with this person or the bar with this? and have a drink with them. Yep, that's my favorite example, right? So trying to determine which politician will in fact best be able to handle all of the terrible, stressful decisions that need to be made, that's a really, really hard assessment to make. And it's one that most people are not, honestly, that qualified to make. So instead, we substitute, we do a replacement. We replace that with an easier question, which is, who's more likable? Uh, you know, who do, who do I resonate with more? And we apply that logic all the time. And we did a podcast on this. I think I remember using the example of when I was going to buy a uninterruptible power supply. And mm-hmm. I've never ever bought an uninterruptible power supply. And I went on the on this website and there was 50 million things it was telling me about these uninterruptible power supply. And I hadn't got a clue what they meant. But the thing that I could make a decision on was how long would the uninterruptible power supply last if because I, you know, if it's um, if there was a problem, because that's something I could easily understand and relate to, and everything else became, um, you know, an irrelevance basically, because I didn't understand it. It's a great example, right? So you've got this really, really complex decision, and you replace that complex decision with an easy decision, which is let's just focus on this one attribute and let that drive our overall decision making. So when you're trying to anticipate customers. Are they replacing? Are they swapping out easier questions for the harder, more important ones? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good one because it's you talking about the brand managers. The danger is that I see a lot of organizations getting into you because they, they're so concerned about their product or their service that they come out with these 50 million 
advantage, you know, features, in fact, I would call them, about their product. And actually, then, you know, customers, the majority of customers are not really interested in those things. The other interesting one, and I think this ties into something like the halo effect, but people that listen to this podcast regularly will know that um, I'm a big Apple fan. And if Apple sold uninterruptible power supplies, I would have just bought that. (laughs) Because that would have been a lot easier decision to make. Would have been an even easier replacement to sit in the bank. I wonder if Apple sell cricket bats. <laughs> what they need is an, an Apple book of cricket rules. I think that that would maybe help. That would be, I tell you what, I think that would even stretch Apple's ability to simplify something. Great. So those are the four things that we need to look at. So let's let's go and do our usual bit of going, okay, so what does this mean that people need to do? And I think, it, let me just throw my thought in at the beginning of this. I think, as Ryan said at the beginning, the, the, the issue becomes with all of this stuff is that it can become extremely complex. And therefore, you do need some simple rules that will apply to help you work all this stuff out and what to do. And I would strongly recommend these four R's to think about how can you then go away and improve your your customer experience. Typically, at the at, you know the the main thing is always about understanding your customer at a much deeper level. For me, that's always the the, the first thing. But understanding that at a much, and I say just at a much deeper level, but, you know, understanding at a more subconscious psychological level and don't just take what they tell you. Because the irony of all this stuff is that sometimes customers don't don't even know them themselves. Any way that uh, other people have used these four R's, you know, Ryan? There's a tension in behavioral science between being accurate and being useful. So the scientists who develop these theories, who who can generate the findings that we talk about on this podcast and in the book, they want as deep an understanding about this phenomenon as they can get. People who are trying to incorporate this wisdom into their daily jobs, they want something that's usable, that they can take back and, and apply. And those things are not always the same, and they don't always mesh up well together. So this was my attempt to give people a place to start. If all this stuff sounds great, all this psychology and this science sounds wonderful, but we don't know what to do with it, start here. What are the reference points people are bringing to bear? What are the reasons people are using for choosing? Do they have a lot or a few resources to bring to this decision? And then are they substituting out an easier question. If you can answer those four questions about the setting you're trying to manage, you've got yourself in a great place to start from a scientific perspective. And then from there, you can get deeper into the weeds. But this is a place to start. Great. Okay. Well, let's bring this uh, episode to a close because I'm actually getting on my cricket pads and I'm going to be wandering out onto the crease shortly to have my first innings. Wait, there are pads and creases? Yeah, I already, I don't even know. 
Let me tell you about the infield fly rule, though. <laughs> yeah, and diamonds and all those types of things. Absolutely. So looking forward to um, talking to you all next week and talking to you about how you can improve your customer experience. So talk to you then. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.